and welcome to Manga Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Daboki, David Brothers, Chips Darsky, and myself, Christopher Woodrow Butcher. Follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com and check out our newsletter and publishing endeavor at mangasplainingextra.com. Hi, I'm Christopher, and this week we are reading, we're going back to the well for another book by Kyoko Kazaki. It's called River's Edge, and it was released pretty recently. It was released in June by Vertical or Kodansha, but it was originally written in 1993-1994, so it's up there with some of the older work that we've covered. Long-time listeners will know that we covered Kyoko Kazaki's Helter Skelter all the way back on episode number four of Manga Explaining. So it's been a long time, and many of you have joined us since then. Thank you. Maybe you want to go check out that episode as well, because I think we might be referring to the the continuity of Okazaki Sensei's output in this book. Speaking of this book, let's start at the very beginning with the back cover copy. At the edge of a city not far from the sea, a field of goldenrod sways in the breeze, its veil of amber flowers obscuring secrets underneath. Old bones and forgotten memories rest in silence, waiting for someone to dig them up. This is where the lives of six young men and women intertwine in ways both tragic and extraordinary. Decaying secrets are revealed as they forge friendships from pain, find betrayal and pleasure, and stare into the face of death itself, in a field of gold by a stagnant river under the smoke-filled skies. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. That is accurate. Sure. We, I was just I was just listening to a previous episode, and it was like I don't know if that was an accurate <laughs> if that was an accurate description of a book we read, but that's yeah, that's all there. That's all there in the book. So yes, this is River's Edge by Kyoko Kozaki. Editor on this was Ajani Oloye, translated by Alexa Frank, and the production was Raisa Cho, Payanip, and Lorena Mappa. Proofreading by Mika Q Allen. This is a heavy one, as Kyoko Kozaki's books, <laughs> released into English, all are, and before. I give all of the background on the book that I have dug up on the internet before starting this podcast. I kind of just want to get everyone's impressions, see how they felt about River's Edge. Deb, I want to start with you this week. This is kind of a heavy book. What did you What did you think of River's Edge? I actually liked it a lot more than Helter Skelter, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Mm, really? Just kind of like the way she lets the story unfold with the kids. And then the, the moment- yeah. Pure horror, like, oh my God, what? Sometimes like like come up in ways mm. that you don't expect. And at moments you don't expect. Yeah. The way that she kind of like has this really interesting mix of, you know, sex and death and betrayal and the pettiness of high schoolers, you know, overlaid mm-hmm. over the part, you know, where Yamada, the gay boy, that what he deals with, what the main mm-hmm. character girl like her boyfriend being mean to him and other girl who kind of, who basically puts out for him, <laughs> like these, these intertwined yeah. things. And then the, Yamada's girlfriend and the model who, who binges and purges is like really interesting characters <laughs> and how they all kind of come together. And, you know, they're not pals. <laughs> no, but no, the, they definitely, their actions and reactions to each other Definitely push, propel the story forward in an interesting way. Hmm. I didn't mention that this is technically a, a shoujo manga that ran in a mm. 
fashion magazine in 1993, 1994, aimed at teen girls. So it wasn't even in a, wow. I mean, a <laughs> technically wasn't even in a shoujo magazine. It's, it's sort of like Paradise Kiss in that way, where it's just sort of yeah. existed outside of, ran at a magazine called Cutie, which is oh. now no longer published. Cutie. But, oh my uh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's spirit. It stopped in 2015, I think, but it's spirit lives on. Mm. David, what did you think of, of River's Edge? I am also stunned that this was for teen girls instead of grown women, <laughs> but it kind of makes sense with like the high school setting. Like, yeah, this could easily be a Jose story if they were in college, because everyone is like unrelentingly terrible in their own special ways. <laughs> but like, I'm pretty sure Kyoko Okazaki was like my introduction to Jose when Vertical was just putting out like Pink and Helter Skelter and stuff. And this mm-hmm. is so of a piece with those books. That I ended up mm-hmm. liking this one quite a bit. It's like some people are good at taking literally everything and like sharpening it to a point and using it as a weapon. And I think this book is full of people who are like that. Especially Absolutely, the yeah. like, let's go freak out the the squares by looking at this dead body. Like there's some we'll get into it, I'm sure, later, but one of the worst moments in the book for me was when Kozaway was like, Hey, Yamada found another dead body, and it's your friend. And it's like, what did you think was and your boyfriend killed her. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. So that was, that was, and then the chapter ended and you're just like, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, it's like a curb yeah, enthusiasm awful. ending. It's, it's seriously yeah. the worst. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. It was, with a book with so many characters of questionable uh, morals, values, morality. I don't know what. Yeah. Morality. Yeah. She felt like the most sociopathic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was interesting. Mm. Yeah, I am pro Okazaki. Keep it going, Chip. What did you think? Oh, I, I mean, I I quite liked it at first. I I at the first twenty pages, or whatever. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna dig this at all because it 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 was kind of set up as like, oh, okay, this gay kid is being bullied, and like it felt like it could have been a revenge story. Like the gay kid like comes back and like murders the the bully or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I could I can I can be along with that, but it's not that interesting to me. But then I was like, well, there's so many other characters here that I'm trying to keep track of. Like, what's their story going to be? And then once you realize it's a real ensemble mm-hmm. and the way it builds, like, I don't think out of all the books we've read, I don't think I've, I was that stressed towards the end. Like, everything collided. Like, it was mm-hmm. really well done in terms of, like, kind of bringing the whole situation for all the characters to a boil and yeah. not quite knowing how this is going to turn out super well done, mildly uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> like we're all going to prison for reading this <laughs> in like the best possible way. But yes. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I quite like that. I, I actually, I think I liked it more than Helter Skelter. Helter Skelter is mm-hmm. probably like the more mature work, but like this was like very entertaining. So it's amazing to hear that you guys all vibe with this one because it, 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 it was 1993, 1984. It was in a fashion magazine, sort of like Helter Skelter was, sort of like Paradise Kiss. And it was a pretty revolutionary piece of writing in 1993. Mm-hmm. River's Edge ended up really influencing. This was the first work of its kind of, you know, like teens really looking into their lives, you know, terrible things are happening and we're failing a generation of kids. And it ended up affecting a lot of work that came afterwards. When I first started looking at River's Edge for a project that did not come to fruition, the first book I found when I went to go buy it 
was a book that was a tribute to River's Edge. And it was great writers and illustrators and comics makers. And it was a 400 page book of like writing and essays and original fiction that were all inspired by River's Edge with like quotes from famous Japanese writers and, and, and artists that had been like, this is, this is the book that changed everything for me. And this was her, this was Okazaki sensei's sort of major work right before I think the next year she started Helter Skelter. She's working on a number of serializations pretty much simultaneously, but she really seems to have honed her skills into like a, well, a razor's edge uh, <laughs> rather than a river's edge with, with this book. And it is phenomenal. I kind of hoped that the gay character would come back and kill them all at the end, but that <laughs> is not the story that it ended up being. And I actually feel a little bit bad about this, but while I was reading it, I was like, man, Riverdale wishes that they were half as tight as plotting as this, where <laughs> yeah. it is a story about teens who are like maybe doing a lot of stuff. Like it's still, it's always believable the whole way through. Everyone is damaged enough in a believable way, as opposed to Riverdale where you're never like, it's it just, it's a little bit too Twin Peaksy at times for its own good. And all of the characters are just moved to chess pieces on the board to exactly where they need to be for the ending to hit in the way that it does and why that it does. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's really, really talking about a lot of stuff that has worked its way into media now, but I can see how this would have been really revolution in 93 and 94. And I was, I wasn't sure if you'd be like, Oh, well, we've kind of seen all of these bits before. Uh, when I was going to ask you guys about it here for the podcast, but I'm so happy to, to think that it, it still really hit you. Like it still really affected you. And it's a story from literally 30 years ago. It's one thing I thought about while reading this was like the teen aspect and how adult it is mm -hmm. because there's, this is going to sound so dumb. I was a Nancy Drew kid. This is not the mm -hmm. dumb part, but like, I love those <laughs> books. They're great mystery novels and they recently mm -hmm. made a, like a modern version. I think 2019, 2020, something like that. And like, yeah. it opens with the sex scene. And I'm like, this is trying to do a thing, but it's not doing it well. Like pushing forward into maturity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a shortcut for it. You know? Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, she has sex and maybe, I don't know, smokes or whatever it was in the series. It, it wasn't a very good TV show in the end. But this book like comes out of the gate with a bunch of wild stuff. And it fits mm -hmm. a lot better, I think. Mm -hmm. because of the perspective that Okazaki has, where it's less like, look how cool and sexy this is, and more, these kids are really in for it this year. Like, there's nothing good on the horizon. Yeah. Even the bit with the old man, I think it's in chapter two, where he's calling for his dog, and it's just kind of a non sequitur for like two or three chapters until you find out there's a dead body in the field. That the yeah. dog has been chewing on. <laughs> Yeah, like, I didn't yeah. watch Riverdale, but everything I heard about it, like I get the comparison you're making, and it's funny that like my version of that is for Nancy Drew instead of Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> Which maybe the last thing I started watching, and then it was just it was too much. I that's Riverdale yeah. turned me off of TV. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. But I will say, I think you should leave. Got yeah. me back. Been watching, been rewatching that. I oh, I'm so sad. There's only three seasons that I got to go find his other sketch comedy stuff. I think he's got like a one shot and then like a whole troop he was in that I saw some some stuff. Anyway, Tim Robinson yeah. hole on YouTube. It's pretty good. I wanna okay. I wanna be unfair for a second because I want to talk about everyone sort of mentioned how this was either uncomfortable or prison inducing because <laughs> this is like a teen book that deals with really heavy stuff. And 
honestly, working in the sort of YA area of, of library stuff for the last couple of years, this is not completely out of the ordinary. Going back to like something like S.E. Hinton's The Outsiders or something like that, like there have always been books at the older end of this of the teen scale that were dealing with like real shit. And I think that this is probably that for Japan in the 90s and that there are those books still exist today, although they definitely would have had Okazaki Sensei's sort of influence into them. But I want to directly compare it to a book we recently read called Not All Girls Are Stupid, which is another sort of really brash, shoujo-ish, jose-ish like story about specifically centered on women dealing with sexuality and what it's like to be a young woman in your late 20s and dealing with, you know, kind of crappy guys and and trying to have some sense of of self and of setting boundaries and and things like that. And that book yeah, was maybe aimed for the same audience. And how do you and but was definitely more upfront about its sexuality and it was published in 96 97. And it's definitely a work that was created post this book. So I was just wondering if you guys had any thoughts on how these two titles interacted for you, what they're trying to say, what they're trying to put on the page. I think the not all girls are stupid version of River's Edge would be like eight pages long. But even more inconclusive at the end. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't think about that in comparison. But that's pretty cool. It's definitely a good companion, I think. Did one come before the other? Yeah, this this was first. This was first. This was yeah, ninety three, and and then not all girls are stupid is ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah, it feels very the way that she's. It's very unvarnished, you know. It's not romanticized mm-hmm. about, you know, like how like the Gekika movement, right, kind of went mm-hmm. from like this idealized adventures of like say flash gordon type of thing right or well we all know but chip doesn't know yet we haven't let him read any gekiga that'll, <laughs> no, be, that'll no. be next season <laughs> we're all gonna get some tatsumi in there it'll be good yeah but it got more you know gritty and more real about everyday what it's like to live in everyday not glamorous not rich people not fantasy world mm-hmm. you know sunshines and sparkles japan and this is very no sunshine and sparkles, teenagers. <laughs> yeah. You know, in their meanness, in their jealousies, in their obsessions, in their way that they feel like their relationships are their be all and end all. Uh, you know, yeah. Like, like, you know, like how Tajima is, where she's like, she's really like, Yamada's my boyfriend, and she's going to do all the things that she's read in magazines, presumably, about what she should do as a girlfriend, right? Knit him a yeah. sweater. You know, do this with him, hold hands, do all these things. And Yamada is not holding up his end of the deal. <laughs> no, no, he's not. No. But she is refuses to believe. And she believes, like, I think some some kids do at some point, you know, particularly achievers. If I only try hard, things yeah. will work out, you know? <laughs> some adults, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some of us don't grow out of that. There's nothing to be done. Yeah. God, they're all such extreme versions of characters in this. Like Tajima is just like so far into that like clueless mm-hmm. kind of like I, I need this person to be, you know, my boyfriend. Like, yeah, it actually kind of kind of vibes with Chris's Riverdale analogy. Like yeah. extreme characters that don't necessarily exist in real life, or if they do, you'd find one of them, but you wouldn't find all of these characters all <laughs> coexisting at the same time, the same place. Because this is what happens. Someone's house gets burned down. 
Yeah, exactly. Someone's <laughs> house gets burned down and, you know, their sister gets. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Jesus. Should we just say this is full of spoilers? Like, there's. Yeah. A- yeah. This is a spoiler heavy episode. We've already kind of. But it's classic. But even with the plot being spoiled a little bit, I honestly feel like this is more of a. We can tell you what happens, but until you experience it happening on the page, you're not going to get. You know what I mean? It's going to. That's when the knives really come out. Yeah. Even if you know what's going to happen, the way it actually happens is probably much worse than you're imagining. Mm-hmm. And like that gap between what you're fearing and like what's coming is the uh, the terror part. But that's yeah. I think why I read Kyoko Okazaki in a way, because if this were a straight up romance, then it would be less fun, less interesting. But because everyone in this is a walking disaster and for some reason intensely monogamous, that all of this stuff goes down. Mm. We get like we get insight. We get. There's six main characters, as the book back of the book said, and then there's maybe another six or seven characters that get names, and then beyond that, everyone's sort of a face in the crowd, you know. And I I think back to my own time in high school and how there were probably six people who were the main character, to use a, a colloquialism, at, mm-hmm. at my school that were pretty messed up in exactly this way. Like I don't think. I don't think, while all of these characters are extreme, I don't think any of them couldn't have actually gone to the same high school as I did. And I do think that it's interesting. Actually, maybe it's closer to to Chip's experience because Chip and I, I mean, we grew up both outside of Toronto, but in, I think, very different kind of locales. And, you know, there's a river by my school, but it was not stagnant next to a factory. Whereas in my mind, maybe Barry or Hamilton has more of that going on, like where Andrew, my husband, grew up. Yeah. Where it was just like, yeah, just down the road is like a steel smelting plant and it always smells like garbage, you know, on hot days kind of a thing. Or where my dad grew up even downtown by the stockyards. So, yeah, yeah. I, I I don't – for me, it read as this is all very possible. And it the goofiness was also very – there's some really like goofy over-the-top moments in this, but it also felt like – very real as well to me. I was wondering if tonally, did you feel like anything didn't work? I think it all worked within what was set up. Like, I don't necessarily agree that it felt like possible, but it felt like Mm. the world was created in such a way that I bought what was happening in the world. Like, like a character gets almost murdered in a field to the point where they think she's dead. And then she goes home and gets almost murdered again. Yeah, like, like, but but in the context of this story, it's just like, oh yeah, no, that makes sense because like you can like all these characters are built that way, and the settings built that way, and the tensions are built that way. Like, of course, mm. the sitter's going to take a box cutter too when you come home after almost dying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's been waiting. Yeah. She's had that box cutter that whole time. She's just been waiting for her. She's yeah. taking the milk out of her room. It was so rude. <laughs> So rude. <laughs> but the, and probably drinking the from side. the carton. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, geez. The death penalty right there. <laughs> so anyways, I, I bought it all because, and it, not just not just in terms of like the writing, but the art as well kind of creates this, like the tone of the mm. place and the characters. So it's easier to buy into the situation. Mm-hmm. There's like ship. I also bought into it a great deal. Even there was one thing that kind of pulled me out of it, but I loved the attempt and mm-hmm. I don't have the page number handy. So good luck. But there's a moment where they quote William Gibson. Oh yeah. 
And I don't think it really works in a comics form necessarily. Like in a movie, it would be perfect. It's like black background, kind of like a quiet, sad voice, like quoting this you know, novel. But in a comic, it's just kind of like more captions. And it took me a second to realize what they were doing. But like mm. the, the juxtaposition of what the captions are saying about love and kind of writing this new feeling, writing this new, you know, unfamiliar area versus what the rest of the book says about love, which is that a lot of people will not care that you're a human being. I don't know. It's oh, like yeah. a nice, a yeah. nice comparison. Yeah. And it made me want to read the novel too, Robert Longo. Hmm. I haven't read that one either. So yeah, that's an interesting thing. Cause the, the, the part that stuck out to me and made me actually think of the not all girls are stupid comparison by mm-hmm. Manami Kita was where she's like, here's what it was like for me to have sex. You know, one, it wasn't that big a deal after it happened Two, sex is inherently ridiculous Three, and it was like, obviously, it was in her voice. It was in, and it was a voiceover for things that were sort of happening in the in the panels on the page. But also, it it felt instructional in the same way that some of Not All Girls Are Stupid did, because mm-hmm, obviously yeah. these are these are adult women who are writing these stories pulled from the li- their own lives, their lives of their friends probably, and handing them down to the next generation of girls and saying this is this is what I've already been through. Yeah. Watch out. And I thought that that worked really well where it was, she was really, you know, obviously the writers are always putting words in the character's mouths, but this was pretty, this was pretty direct. This, this, this yeah. moment. Yeah. Yeah. That, that felt very real, very genuine. Like, yeah. Author talking straight to the, the reader. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was, it, it did feel instructional the same way. The idea that you need to dig a grave deeper than you think. Yeah, there's a lot of instruction in here. Yeah, I the page Christopher is talking about also has an illustration uh, that says safe sex and has oh, I love that. Yeah, I thought that was was one of the pages that I screenshot. Yeah, that was great. It's funny looking at it now because it's almost like a sex criminals triple X cover, just like here's your instruction manual. (laughs) Yeah, 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 I can see that, but much, much meaner. But the matter of factness of it was something I really like too. I'm glad that. Like other people like that because it's kind of some things are mysteries until you're grown or until you actually experience it. Like think of all the wild stuff your friends told you about like body parts when you were a kid that they clearly Mm. just made up, you know? Yeah. And then you grow up and it's like, Oh, it's not like that at all. And I think this book is a lot of like, it's not like that at all, but also please be careful. Mm. Like safe sex came up, two or three times they mentioned that Kenonzaki, the main character's boyfriend isn't having safe sex with someone else so she has like a pregnancy scare i think that was maybe the most realistic high school drama part Mm -hmm. of it no the most realistic part was that but it was why he's like she was because she's accusing him she's like i'm late you never you never were safe with me but you're always safe with your girlfriend and you just don't respect me you would just get me high and then fuck me and like it wasn't even a big deal and that was real. Like that was yeah, like, yeah. That's the thing I pulled out of this is that there's so much real shit in here. And it's like you you were fucking me, but you didn't respect me at all. And you like respect yeah. your girlfriend despite the fact that you right. like hit her and you're kind of a piece of shit. Like yeah. that. That was like the the next level for me. Because I like mm-hmm. absolutely yes what you're saying, but like there's these other there's these other there's other weight to it. Yeah. But yeah. that was definitely that attitude i mean everyone gets really down on you know the the woke feminism that's around now 
Well, not everyone. But, you know, there's but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's like, you got to admit that, like, when you see this behavior, right, where the boy treats one girl as his whore and one girl as his pseudo wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? absolutely. The virgin whore thing is... Like you can see that as being reprehensible and not like, oh yeah, that's what guys do, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> or both. Mm-hmm. A little bit of both, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like it is, it is reprehensible, but it 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 was so like, of course, that's exactly. He's got problems with his family. He doesn't have a strong dad figure. His mom's sick, so he needs a new mom, and he's going to make his girlfriend his mom. Like it was very like <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> we've, yeah, we've yeah. worked our way down that path. Yeah, check boxes. Yeah. And then she feels bad because she, he put all that shit on her. And she was like, oh, I wasn't there for him when he really needed me. So I guess I'll have sex with him again. Like, oh, right. I felt a little oh, yeah, ill, yeah. actually. Oh. I had to put the book down at that one. Yeah. I actually cool. love yeah. that twist yeah. development, something. Yeah. Because I like that she's becoming aware of, like, oh, other people have interiority as well. But oh, she doesn't was, have yeah. the tools to know what to do about it. So it's like, oh, well, yeah. I guess it's sex. Because she even says, I think, in the dialogue after that moment, or the uh, inner thoughts, she's like, we didn't have to have sex. We could have talked about it if I knew what to say or something. Like yeah, that. yeah, absolutely. I thought that yeah. was really astute. Like Definitely like a, a grown woman writing with the benefit of age and wisdom. Because mm. so much of, like, sometimes you try something and it's not the right thing, but it's the only thing you know how to try. Yeah, it's funny. It's like sex was the shortcut to let you know it's a mature tale, and sex is also the shortcut to like yeah conversation. <laughs> Basically, yeah. everything looks like a nail. Yeah, and yeah, all they have are hammers. Yeah, I mean, there's aspects of like Yamada and Yoshikawa, the model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in that one thing that occurs to me is like Yamada, you know, being gay has a life outside of school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's met and hung out with people who aren't in school. I mean, maybe older who Uh live different lives than his parents did or, you know, live a normal outside of that. Right. And then the model of obviously lives a model's life, right. Where they're dealing with very, you know, artistic people, like people in the entertainment industry, whatever. Uh But like you have this compared to the other, they kind of have this little bit of disdain for the other. Yeah. They're they're checked out. They're completely checked out of, and like a little bit sociopathic as well. They're like, look at dead body because they've, it's, the kind of way goth kids used to be, like, oh, dead bodies are cool, or like, oh, I'm yeah. so above it all because I've seen death. Yeah, like, like there's a girl <laughs> who I was friends with who I, I like. There's no shade, but she used to full on carry a vial of mercury on a necklace around her neck. Who was a goth and to quote Sylvia Very Plath cool. at people and just wait to wait to die. Like I'm waiting to die, and I'm mm-hmm. just sent here every day, and I, every day I look at my mercury and you're like okay but at 16 you're like oh yeah no she's cool <laughs> she's cool cool girl <laughs> very cool and at yeah. the time you think you think that, like the people like that think like i'm doing this to make me me above it all right mm-hmm. to emphasize that i'm not like you little kids right yeah absolutely <laughs> even in, in your mind but in the end like you know you're reading this and you go like oh that's what high school kids think is being cool and above it all looks like it feels mm-hmm. like. yeah yeah and they're still it's- and they can't see that they're still fucking up Pardon my French, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, yeah, they just they can't see it. They don't, and they also like we get hints of it. It's like, oh, I read in a magazine actually that like I read in a magazine that the the model girl's mom is like an awful stage mother who's like abusive, and it's like first off, 
that's terrible. And now we have a little bit of backstory on like why the model girl has issues with food and weight and like her parents mm-hmm. and, and, and not being really checked into school. But also, can you imagine going to school and people are reading about your home life, your friends or your, 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 your classmates are reading about your home life in magazines and then you've still got to be in school with them. Like just that mm-hmm. level of it, it really shows that, yeah, this person's in a really shitty position and they're really dealing with themselves and other people in a shitty way, but also the things that have been done to them at 16 or whatever they are, are also awful, like so awful. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty good at that <laughs> at making yeah. you feel bad <laughs> for everybody despite like there are what they flashes do. of empathy, not empathy, that's the other direction. There are flashes where they make you like empathize or relate to the characters. Oh, absolutely. And even the characters yeah. have those moments like Harvard realizes like wait, Kozway is a model and popular and cool and she was just saying how all those people are fakers and liars. Maybe she's just mm. good enough to be that. Yeah. Like there's so much yeah. of characters kind of like almost getting to the point, you know? Yeah. Where from yeah. an adult perspective, you can easily see the point. Like it's like that's 11th grade lesson, <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know, they're not quite there yet. Mm. Yeah. Do you, Christopher, do you remember much of Blue Spring, the Tayo Matsumoto short story collection? Why, I'm glad you asked. I've actually got that open on the other screen. That <laughs> 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 I will seed my segue. Was that a <laughs> it actually, I, I wish. I thought about really wow. a lot. <laughs> yeah, it came to mind because it feels like the, the boys manga version of this a little bit. Of a bunch of yeah. like kind of messed up, not quite. Mm. They don't have it figured out yet. Anyway, Christopher, what was your Blue Spring pitch? What did you have for us? Yeah. So Blue Spring was yeah. one of Matsumoto's first works. Tayo Matsumoto, who we covered here on the podcast, we, we read Ping Pong and Tech on Kingcrete. This was one of his first works, and I was a big booster for it. Kelly Sue DeConnick actually, I think, rewrote this one. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. When they were doing translation and then adaptation more, Kelly Sue rewrote this one, and it was an early Viz pulp release. But it is set in a school that is pretty close to the school we get here in River's Edge, a like low-end low achieving mm-hmm. kind of a school. And the ins- it's a series of short stories that are seemingly unconnected, but they're just about kids at this school. But what's really happened is the last sort of chance, the last glimmer of hope of the school has died because the school baseball team loses their chance to go on to Koshin, basically onto like the, the big high school baseball thing. So everyone's just waiting for the year to end and like the school might actually be like shut down kind of a thing, but that's all in the background. Instead, it's these stories about these kids who have never had anything, and now they've lost like even the last little bit of hope. So there's one story that's called Clap Your Hands, where the kids are like, all right, they go up to the school roof, and they hold on to the bars on the edge of the roof, and they start to fall backwards, and they see how many times they can clap their hands before they grab the bar before they fall off of the roof while they're Jesus falling. Christ. Yeah. <laughs> and whoever claps their hands the most is the coolest kid in school. Oh yeah. Until one per like until one particularly damaged person goes for the record and dies and it's like story ends. <laughs> it's just brutal. It's like a brutal <laughs> brutal short story and no one seems to care, right? Like there's nothing cuz no one like he didn't have anything going on anyway or he didn't feel like he had anything on going on anyway. The adults that are at, at the school are all like they're all terrible like it's just yeah so it's it very much has a similar vibe i think to river's edge so if you've some if you're if you're one of the very few people who read 
Blue Spring when it came out. It's been out of print for a while. River's Edge is for you, I absolutely think. But it is. Yeah. It does feel like boys comics had permission to have delinquents and to have like real life and to have really sort of screwed up characters and girls comics didn't to me and anything else I've read feel like they had permission until Okazaki started making work that was a little bit more real. Mm -hmm. And I think it was interesting when Deb was adding to the show notes for not all girls are stupid you specifically mentioned like the riot girl phenomenon where like girls, you know, especially in the the nineties girls and women were like, actually, no, we're tough and we're hard and fuck you. And we're going to like be honest about, about everything. And I think that there's a little bit of that there where it's just like, there is a social movement coming up and Okazaki sees it and is like, I'm going to take my shot. I'm going to try and say some real things because the boys can always, you know, do that. Mm-hmm. Although yeah. blue spring is almost completely sexless. It's all about, I was going to say vocational yeah. high school. I talked to Matsumoto about that. I don't, I don't know if anyone cares about this, but I talked to Matsumoto about that. And he's like, yeah, I just didn't know how to draw women. So I just didn't <laughs> in any of my early books. <laughs> and he also didn't That's really know funny. a lot about sex actually. So he didn't put sex in any of his say. early books either. Oh, yeah. All right. It was just, a, it was just something he wasn't comfortable draw what you know. <laughs> taking on as a, as a creator. And you don't really see that until I think one of the ones we didn't get translated. Bamboo Samurai has some great, great, great female characters in it. And then it sort of changes from there. Sunny has a mm-hmm. couple of female characters that are good. And yeah, uh, anyway. But I respect that he knew that about himself, you know, that yeah. some people will try it anyway and do a poor job of it. Yeah. <laughs> I know that because I think Chip also mentioned that in our first Matsumoto episode. Like how the mm-hmm. women- Why are there no ladies in this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there right. we go. Like, there okay. we go. Right, yeah. right. But I, yeah. I was thinking about it and the- Boys comics did have a certain amount of freedom, but I think that in terms of sexuality, not necessarily, maybe. I think yeah, the, violence the sex, and the sex roles in, in, in boys comics are awful. Like, and I'd say no names. still awful, to be honest. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want to. Hmm. I can do it without naming ups- names. Yeah, I'm upset. No, I can say, I'll say just flat out, I think. Yeah. Some of the nicest looking and most compelling comics mm-hmm. are the books of Oba and Obata. So like the death note and Bakuman, and they are some of the worst treatments of female characters in like the history of Shonen. Like these are contemporary stories that treat women appallingly badly and girls mm-hmm. appallingly badly. And it's like, you can kind of write it off that the characters are like self-involved, like psychos, <laughs> like the two boy characters, yeah. <laughs> but like in, in either of the books, but like, women are are like barely set dressing and don't get good endings right like risa and death note has just been like okay i'm done with you and she's like sent off i guess maybe to die off panel like it was just awful and then bakuman the way it treats female artists and shoujo manga is no better and it's such a bummer because these are such good books in so many other ways but like Mm -hmm. shonen manga i think is pretty bad at it and seinen slightly less so because seinen can just retreat into a world where everyone's a dude and they just don't have to address they don't have to address women so they don't get it wrong they just are creating a problem due to the absence of it uh, where which is Mm -hmm. like different than being actively bad i guess (laughs) so but yeah like the Uh most the two most disappointing works i've read in that regard are bakuman and 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 death note because they pretend to maybe be something else and that that gets me like 
just yeah. just be real be like i don't know i don't know about women so they're not my story like fine learn about women someday or 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 learn to write them anyway or like oh i'm just like a like a i'm an asshole and i have bad opinions about women Great. Be upfront about that. Don't get me hooked on your story and then slowly <laughs> reveal that over 18 volumes, please. All right, then rant over, rant over. But I want to point out something, too. Yeah, yeah. The Death Note live action that came mm. out a couple of years ago that was produced by Masioka was on, you know, was adapted. They made the Risa character, they adapted her because they, they too thought she was too much of a doormat, right? And so they gave her like a backstory and they gave her much more spunk and much more this or that. It completely had to change the entire story and how it ended. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, because, and then it was like this pivot point where the logical end of how the story went didn't work anymore. So they had to change it. Like it, like it went off the freeway and went on a completely different tangent and became a completely different ending because they, because they made the decision to make the female character not so horrible not so stupid not so nothing. And- yeah 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 i think about that it's like wow that was that was a decision in the adaptation and i don't know if that was the right decision mm-hmm. but i know they had to make it yeah yeah the blue spring comparison came to mind because mm-hmm. and also like speaking marginally about like kind of what girls comics and boys comics are focusing on i feel like the mm-hmm. gun in blue spring is like sex in this where they both yeah, okay. represent this kind of unknowable must have thing that will eventually like result in somebody's destruction yeah so i think that's why they feel like a great comp also coming out in the same year i feel like it's really remarkable like they feel like a great yeah. compliment yeah, to yeah. each other hmm. Hmm. there's something in the air for sure i think with those books yeah chip i know it's not an official among explaining pick but blue spring your friend wrote it it's technically like <laughs> like like reading a friend <laughs> it's quite good. available it's on kindle good. as well i had to pick yeah. one up a while back because i was like you know i can't really find it in stores anymore that's worth having if you think i'm taking on extra manga to read on top <laughs> of this for fun for fun for fun oh no yeah. have we turned manga into something unfun <laughs> no 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 this is more of a schedule thing than a, uh, <laughs> a fun thing okay. uh, well, can i share next a month's fun pick thing? is is four consecutive books so yeah no i'm just kidding. go ahead yeah yeah on page 156 of river's edge is mm. There's like three panels that made me laugh. And none of it has to do with the dialogue. It's all the background drawings. In panel one, there's a Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey poster. Panel two <laughs> is like a Clockwork <laughs> Orange dude, like caricature. Wait, what page again? 156. Yeah. And then at the bottom of the next to last panel, there's a poster for a oh. porno. It's called Pingu Triple X Sex Animal Pingu. (laughs) (laughs) You're a master finding these little things. It's crazy. The nice thing about digital comics is when you see lettering, you can kind of zoom in a little bit. Just get in there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Chip is an expert at this kind of thing. So I respect background gags. And these are good background gags. Solid. Very solid. Mm, I love the background (laughs) gags in this. And I love... There's lots of lots of notes incorporated in like in the gutters here rather than putting mm. them at the end, which I think really helps. Little things like there's a magazine on the floor of Haruna's room, and it's the magazine mm-hmm. that she would also make comics for sometimes mm-hmm. to show that like she's a teen girl, like you're a teen girl, because you read <laughs> the same magazines, actually. This could be you, like pay attention. Such a good yeah. moment. And then at the bottom, it's like, this is a magazine that Kokosaki would have work in. And you're like, mm, there you go. There you go. <laughs> that one's for the adults. Yeah. I like, I like the one where they make a reference to a TV show. And then like the, the note says, 
this usually aired at this time of night. Yeah. And, mm. and so it's like, oh, so they're not just explaining that it's referring to a TV show. They're explaining why narratively what it's saying, talking about this TV show tells a Japanese reader. Yeah. 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 Which I thought was, that's smart. And that's not something that every translator does, mm-hmm. but I think that's so important. Yeah, it was kind of overwhelming at first. The, really? yeah. It took me a little bit to like get the the pacing of reading the notes and also the the comic. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of margin notes. I love them. I actually, I, I wish more books had just so many margin notes. Actually, because <laughs> it feels like maybe I I think I read comics weird sometimes because I think about. I think about how I'm taking in all of the information that the panel has to give me. And mm-hmm. then if there's margin notes, it's like, oh, good, more information. And it, I don't I don't think that's how most people read comics, but I, I kind of love them for, no, that for sounds what, pretty they, normal. what they add. It was more about the amount for me. Well, there's oh, an yeah. intense one on 92, right? Where it says, does everybody want 100 million yen? And it says, in the vein of Transamerica <laughs> Ultra Quiz, a game show that ran from 1977 to 1992, blah, 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 blah. Captain's contestants would travel across America participating in a series of grueling physical and intellectual challenges. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's like four lines. <laughs> <laughs> and very little. <laughs> the, yeah. I, actually, I'm reading print, so I didn't love how little it was because I'm getting old. But I had to really take my glasses off to read it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I will go get the digital so I can get all the good background gags. Like you know who so. does good margin notes is Hellboy, actually. Oh, really? Whenever really? something comes up, like a reference to a work of art or something, there'll be like a little margin note that says, you know, so and so drew this in this era or died mysteriously. Mm. It's very rare, but it always helps build the mood. Like it's part yeah. of what Mignola is doing. Well, I think these notes were added after, maybe. And that's kind of yeah. like by the different feel. Yeah, yeah. These are by the translator. For but she's yeah. telling a lot of story, like through pop culture references, which I always like. It's very fun. I find them weird and I refuse to read them. <laughs> but I like them when Ryan North does them. Do you like them when Ryan North does them? He has, he has margin notes. He has alt text at the bottom, like an extra joke at the bottom. Mm, he's been getting into captions too. Well, maybe not for Fantastic Four, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, like for, for, for me, it's like if I was reading a novel and all of a sudden like in the middle of the novel, there was like a paragraph like, oh, this means this because of this and this and this. I'd be like, what? Like, I don't, I either know it or like I don't know it. No, I've oh, read I'm books not. like that. Yeah. No, you get like foot. You get footnotes in like mm-hmm. in like nonfiction, but you don't. I mean, not the books I read. I read really smart, uh, <laughs> intelligent adult books. Pulitzer I don't know. Press winning. I got to yeah, re- in your, rejoin book club. in your light novels. In your light novels, <laughs> maybe they do that. Yeah, there's like a three page aside to explain. <laughs> Actually, they legit term. do that in light novels. Yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like you know a. a I mean, this is obviously a different thing because it's is as a result of the translation. Mm-hmm. But you know, the key is to be a a smart writer and uh, give the reader the information in a way that doesn't break the narrative. Yeah, mm-hmm. like if, if it's something integral to it. If it's not integral to it, if it's something additional that would help you if you knew about like a, a Russian invasion of nineteen eighteen or whatever then you just don't mention it like you just Mm -hmm. keep going but if the story needs that then you'd be like oh the russian invasion of whatever which you know meant this and this and this Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. part of the narrative yeah i get what you mean i think that that's there is a fine line and i yeah i think it's valid that you guys were like 
that that's a that's a bit much. But I, I like Deb's point too that it's like we're trying to set time of day, we're trying to set mood, we're trying to be like I got home in in time to watch morning cartoons without localizing it and being like oh cartoons had started or like you know what I mean. It, it was instead mm-hmm. oh such and such the yeah. show that every sixteen year old girl reading this manga in nineteen ninety three would instantly know what that was and why it was important yeah. what time of day it was and without localizing it and just glossing it instead i don't know i find it kind of feel like i learned a little bit in addition to being horrified by the story yeah <laughs> yeah because <laughs> these are things i wouldn't know like yeah this mm-hmm. kind of deep cultural uh, touchstones particularly from that time mm-hmm. i mean like obviously you know i keep up with some of this stuff but there's a lot i don't know and the fact that, like I said, that as Chris was saying, that he made the the translator and the editor made the effort to make it give you the same impression yeah. that you would get as a Japanese reader, even though it meant you doing a little extra work, I think was important. There was one translation note that was almost admitting defeat. Like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> there was a line like, no sweat till you sweat or something like that. I'll have to go through the book again to find it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know. It has like yeah. four asterisks next to it. And they're like, it's a reference to this magazine that this guy used to draw in, that this model kit person who works for this paint company used to comment. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, first, I recognize the model kit company, Tamiya. They still make, you know, interesting stuff. And it's like this whole subculture that they're referring to in one line of dialogue that is impossible yeah. to get across in localization. Yeah. Mm. You need like the eight point font to get it done. It's <laughs> awesome. And just committing at a certain point to be like, nothing goes in the back of the book. We're putting everything on the page where yeah. it happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Editorially, that's uh, it's bold. But I actually, this is like an aside, but sometimes in the background, I'll have on vintage television commercials, either mm-hmm. ones from my childhood, and not necessarily just kid stuff, but, you know, just stuff mm-hmm. that's like, oh, I, I saw that commercial. Andrew and I actually will make little jokes at each other for it, but we'll put on Japanese ones sometimes too, because it's like an, a history where we were live and it's from, you know, when we were from exactly the same era, it's just, it's all in Japanese and we didn't really have access to any of that. And mm-hmm. every once in a while, I'll see something on one of those commercials and be like, I saw that in a manga. And I'm trying to think of what a, <laughs> what a good one is. Glico, the running logo guy. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Or it's, it's, there's a lot of stuff like the Maxell guy when he's sitting in the chair oh, getting the blown chair. away by the it's speakers. Back, yeah. Yes, yeah yes. But Japan has like 600 of those that have like worked their way into so many aspects of, 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 of popular culture that, that are touchstones that people here just know. Oh, I'm in Tokyo, which is why I say people here. Sorry. Uh, yeah. And it, it's like, <laughs> it's a little bit, it's one of those things that, it, again, I really like discovering about manga. And, I, and it, mm-hmm. it goes to the whole book. This is this feels like a missing piece of, of the, the narrative of what Shoujo and, and Jose comics are to me anyway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, shout out to the folks in the comments on the website who we've been talking about whether or not Jose comics are actually a real category or if it's an invention of the West. It's fascinating. We'll, we'll maybe get into it next season, but yeah, I've got a manga realization for you. Yeah. Shoot. Shoot. Mm. There was this actually from our trip to Tokyo with Nick Mm. Tagata in 2019. We were talking about how, like, there's so many things in manga that we like, like how Otomo draws buildings and, like, landscapes and highways and things, how Toriyama draws these, like, little cute squat cars. Mm -hmm. And then you go to Japan and you're like, oh, that's just what Tokyo highways look like. Like, oh, these are just (laughs) the small trucks that people use to transport things. And it's people drawing what they see. And I think manga is a great view into another 
place like that. You know, like you're saying, mm. you know, you, I've seen this in manga and now it's on real TV as well. Like this is another connection drawn in your brain. It's one of my favorite aspects of reading books is learning something like that. Yeah. Especially when you're young and you don't get a chance to visit those places. So, yeah. so many people are visiting Japan through, you know, visiting Japan or visiting France or visiting, you know, for or me, even New York City when I was a teenager. You know? New York City. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. I didn't get to go to New York until I was in my like late 20s. So, yeah, for mm. real. Yeah, Mid-20s? right. Same page. So Chris saying, talking about the Maxell being blown away, just reminded me, I was going to mention, what a transition between the kid about to blow that old man and then the supermodel <laughs> gorging on the, the pizza. Yeah, oh, that was there were a couple bits like yeah. that, yeah. <laughs> like, wow. There's some really interesting juxtapositions, right? Like, And I, I read it the second time this morning. And like, for example, in uh, the, sometimes there's these little markers, right, in the story. That she uses, as, I don't know, I guess little transition points, right? Like, so for mm-hmm. example, page 119, Poch, the old man is watching, walking Pochi the dog, and Pochi comes back to the bone. And you think nothing of it, right? The first yeah. time around you read this. The second time you see Pochi, it's like page 115. And this is after they've buried the body. And the, the old man tells Pochi, oh, why are you so disappointed? Because Pochi can't find any more bones anymore. <laughs> yep. <laughs> grim. And then so page grim. 19, you see Pochi and the dog watch walking again. And then they're just, it's normal. But if you blink, you miss it. But these, there's these really interesting little ways that she repeats motifs. Mm-hmm. Like the one at uh, page, um, page 12 is when they first, uh, Yamada and Rina walk on the bridge the first time. Mm-hmm. And then they do it again at 224. Yeah. So there's, I think they stylistically, there's some really smart ways that she's, you know, using settings and characters and little, what seems like throwaway moments to, um, I don't know, just kind of indicate some clever ways that the story has moved on, like yeah. the, way, the narrative. Great mood builder, I think. Yeah. Did anyone else think at the beginning, the first scene where the dog's looking for or the guy's looking for the dog, that it was a Yamada who was dead. Oh. That's what I thought. That's like, I thought, yeah, because he doesn't show up to school after that. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, shit. Like, like I, I assume there was a dead body. Yeah. I don't know, as soon as I see a dog in a field, I just assume a dead body. I don't know <laughs> if that's just me. Yeah. Which was another reason why I was kind of like pleasantly surprised when it didn't turn out to be the kind of story I thought it was going to be. Yeah, they like, oh, uh, oh, okay, all right, yeah. And she's looking yeah. for Kenanzaki, who was bullying him on like that same page. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, there's definitely some tension there. I think. Hmm. I also like to call out to her use of screen tone. Oh yeah, I loved it. Which we, yeah, which yeah. we mentioned in Helter Skelter. Like, I love that aquarium scene. Yeah, that that's really so good. Nice. Yeah, it was yeah. the factory scene for me. There's a moment see? where she flashes to like a negative space drawing of like a factory building with smoke in the air. Yes, uh, that's so good. Uh, which of course I can't find it now, but it's early in the book when she's talking about how kind of the city is falling on hard times a little bit. Yeah. And like the, it doesn't look like a good drawing of a factory in smoke, but it looks like the perfect drawing of the mood of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 35, 30, 34, 34, 35. Oh, nice. Yeah. It kind of looks kind of like Tsuge, don't you think? Yeah, it's got a really cool style. The way she rendered the smoke, she does a similar rendering style on a lot of the stairs in the building and like the kind of the grimy walls. Yeah. I love that because that's actually the the first scene in, in chapter three. No words, 
no 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 captions yeah. okay the city was a blah 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 it's just no just factory like mm. she occasionally does stuff where i'm like oh if this was a seinen manga it would be like a lot more like the river's edge metaphor i think it'd be a lot more like front and center someone would say like you know i'm standing on the banks of this river facing life and death or something but it's <laughs> just like a edge. constant <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you think about it too right like she just if that Two page spread is wordless, mm-hmm. and then you go to the next page, and the first box is a black box that has text. Right mm-hmm. yeah. now, she could have made the decision to put that text on that factory page, but she didn't. And yeah, I think that was a smart decision. Yeah, and it's text all about how kind of you know industrialization versus living. I guess is something that kind of like loops through the book a little bit, sort of like efficiency and commerce over the value of life. And she says, you know, I wonder what they're making in that factory. We're surrounded by manufactured goods. We have no clue to how they're made. Mm. Later, she mentions like if like the meats and things, she wishes they were made in a factory near the town. Like there's definitely like some fun symbolism going on, Mm. you know, motifs and things like that. And there's some really that I mean, I think I swear I've heard American movies Mm -hmm. where teenagers or something have this inner dialogue where they observe the world and go like, it's kind of screwed up, isn't it? Or a little Ferris Bueller action? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was one. Was it Brick with Joseph Gordon-Levitt that was done like a yeah. neo noir with that kind oh, of dialogue? Yeah. 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 But I thought the river stuff. I made a couple of notes on that and how it sort of made me think that what the book is about is the ways that we care about each other and have to learn how to care about each other. Because everyone has like serious problems. I think that Okazaki does a great job of explaining like how Haruna is stuck in this bad relationship. She's like a little bit trapped by her mom. Her piece of crap boyfriend has, you know, legitimate issues. But none of them know how to relate to each other and to recognize that in each other until maybe not even until the end of the book. And just seeing them bounce around like that. I don't know. It's a wild thing to think about. This is just for teenagers in you know, yeah. some fancy magazine. But as an adult, it's nice to see, you know, I don't know, it feels like confirmation that life can be hard, but if you keep trying, you know, maybe you'll figure it out. Yeah. You might make it through. Yeah. Which is definitely not like <laughs> the intended, you know, I'm bringing this, you know, as a Western person 30 years later, but I, I really enjoyed reading this going through it again. Mm. Yeah. That sounds like a pretty final thought. <laughs> is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, come back to me. We'll see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's do final thoughts then, and we will come back to David. Deb, we'll start off with you since we started with you. What what were your final thoughts on River's Edge? I mean, I had heard a bunch about River's Edge from, you know, my friends in Japan who read manga. I think Aki Yanagi was was telling me that he thought it's one of his favorite manga. And I've heard a bunch of, Mm -hmm. of my manga friends say, yeah, it's one of my favorites. It's really good. So I was really thrilled when Konachi picked it up. You know, and it's lived up to, it's lived up to a lot of, why people like it, you know, because I think it's it's not a not the feel good hit of the summer, <laughs> no. <laughs> and it's sometimes it's narratively a little hard. Like you were kind of like, wait, what happened here? And mm. you have to go back and read, go back and read. Mm. Like I was, I had to go back and read a couple times to figure out. Wait, how did Kana get burnt? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Why does Haruna have to move? Because there's a fire. Like I had, and that's all really. You only get. You don't see this happen, right? You don't see Hajima trying to burn her house. You don't uh-huh. see her getting why and how she gets turned into 
like basically a burnt Cheeto under a sheet. Yeah. Like, but you, cause you have, you have to go back and you have to go read the, the dialogue between some of the people, even a fisherman, or you have to read some of the mm. captions to figure out oh, like, Takahashi. Yeah. Like, Oh, yeah. that's what happened. But I thought I read it and I thought, wait, did I miss something? <laughs> so, but that's also really interesting, you know, storytelling choices. Right. And mm-hmm. yeah, I like that she challenges the reader to read deeply and closely mm-hmm. and, yeah. it re- and it rewards uh, repeat readings because like I said, the dog thing, I didn't notice until I read again. Yeah. 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 Same actually. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention too, is like, and I don't want to go without this is that this cover art is the best ever, most appropriate, most yeah. compelling cover design for this book ever. Like mm. I put in our, in our little sock channel, the original Japanese cover of the release and it's so different it's basically the close-up of like yamada on page 35 blown up you know this disaffected face of him right where he's Mm -hmm. blah whereas like this one the becky's one takes page 110 where they're she's you know harun is in the field and looking up crops it very close and then uses like this spot gloss to show the river yeah i feel like this moment this moment of wonder and, and confusion and darkness. Loneliness. It's so much more evocative of what this book is really about. Mm-hmm. Designed by Becky Cloonan. <laughs> Designed yeah. by Becky Cloonan. Good the job, master. Becky. <laughs> yeah. Really, really good. Chipper, since David wanted us to come back to him, <laughs> do you want to have your final <laughs> thoughts on River's <laughs> It'll be worth the wait. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. I'm, I'm usually all in for the done-in-ones. On this mm-hmm. podcast, I thought it was just a really kind of well-crafted story. That, yeah, you were really you really sucked into the world, and and, and like that was saying, like, you know, there there were points we kind of have to maybe reread or kind of read closer, but it really works, especially towards the end of this, because mm-hmm. everything kind of happens quickly and fragmented, and that's that's how they kind of create that tension. Mm-hmm. Because it is, yeah, it's this culmination of everything. It's, it's so well done. Yeah, I would definitely recommend this to anyone looking for a, a bit of a twisted read. <laughs> for the real sickos out there. For yeah, the real, the real sickos, the real exactly. sickos out there. <laughs> I yeah. do think, just to address both those that those points that you guys brought up, yeah, it it does re- require a closer read at points and a reread in little certain sections if you're not quite sure what's going on. But I think it rewards you for it. It's not pointlessly confusing. It's like no, we're going to jumble this up because we need you to go back and really think about what's going on here. And I think that that's, again, another like masterful moment in the book. So yeah, totally yeah. agree mm-hmm. with you. I had to read a couple of sections more than once just to make sure I got what was going on, especially at the end. Before I forget, because we talked about all the despicable things that kind of happened in this book, but we did not mention one of them, really. So Oh, we got a worn people. Yeah. For the readers, yeah, there is some poor kittens in this. There's one. some cruelty to animals. Some, some cruelty some, to animals. Oh, some kittens oh. that don't make it to the end yeah. of the book. Yeah. No, they grew up and wandered away. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, that yeah. reminds. Did you see that on Twitter? There was like a girl who asked uh, Steven Spielberg, "What happened to the dog swimming in, in Jaws?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. It was a comic writer's daughter, Ethan Sachs's daughter, got wow. to interview Steven Spielberg and was like. Like, come on, is that dog survivor or what? Because <laughs> I cry every time I see that dog. And I like and then he 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 reassured her that the dog swam away and was reunited with its family. 
Yeah. Sharks and dogs are friends. <laughs> sharks and dogs are friends. Yeah. But my final right. thought is brief. The Chip mentioned he was like not sure if he was going to be into it when he first started reading. So I was like, when did I kind of click with the book? And it's mm. actually on page 14 in panel mm. one. It's just after she rescues Yamada from the locker and they're walking back. And she says, I speak for the sake of speaking. And what she says is what they did to you is awful. And it's like, mm. does she believe it yet? Because everything she goes on to say is like, hey, you know, people like you, you know, a lot of the girls like you. And he's like, it doesn't matter. None of this stuff that you're telling me matters because this is what I'm like. And there's such mm. like a, a delta between the two of her trying to do a good thing and him trying to be honest with her and neither of them really connecting yet. But he's saying things to shock her and to push her away almost, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like, I hate those giggling girls. I want to shove raw garbage into their mouths. Yeah. She's trying to be polite and comforting to him, mm-hmm. but he's telling her, look, this is this is the deal, and this is how I really feel, and if you think that's ugly, fuck off and go away. Yeah. It's interesting how he switches that around later on mm. yeah. when he's being asked about, like, you know, what, are you the top or the bottom? Do you put it in or do you take it? And he's like, and then he just turns it around on yeah. her. Yeah. That was such yeah. a good scene. Whoa, that was so good. Oh, that was so good because it's, it's such a flip of this where he's like trying to, you know, and he kind of again, like, shocker. Like, what do you talk? Do you do you ask your straight yeah. friend how they have sex? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That, was I say that, that was great. Most, most, but not all of my straight friends do not like me turning that back on them. Actually, so mm. yeah, as someone who's had that exact conversation, I don't know, two dozen times. Yeah, yeah, they don't prefer <laughs> it, which is great. That was and I'm the ones that who do prefer it love it. And we're best friends forever now. Yeah. 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 Hey, what's up? What's up, up, buddy? (laughs) But yeah, that's, I don't know, that's this book in a nutshell for me. Like there's, the character work is so strong and the abrasive points are so abrasive that I couldn't help but kind of, you know, fall in. Yeah. Or it's going to push you away, like that sequence, that, that early thing. Uh, yeah, I actually wasn't sure I was going to dig it after picking it, actually. I was a little worried. (laughs) Yeah. So I was exactly, uh his age, the time that this book takes place. And I was a closeted gay kid who had a bunch mm-hmm. of friends who were not my school friends, where I had a completely different life than the life that I had at school. And so I started reading this and seeing him getting bullied. And bullied is such a fake word for the abuse that he <laughs> What's suffers. What's happening here? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to process this, actually, because this was not, it was not far enough away. It was not fiction that was far enough away from my life. but. It's so good. Yeah. I, I've been trying not to editorialize too much because I just listen to myself editorialize the fuck out of another episode. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, it's so good that it got me over my really complicated feelings about a lot of the stuff that I saw and a lot of the stuff that I participated in when I was exactly the age of the characters in this book when it came out. So I can't think of any stronger recommendation than that. Like as someone who lived through a lot of, not all of it. I don't think anyone died, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Well, actually that's not entirely true, but it was after <laughs> I left school. Yeah. I think, I think that it's a good book and I'm glad we picked it and I'm glad it finally got published in English. It's such a, it's from 1993 to today. I'm glad yeah. we got, and after a long drought after Helter Skelter, I'm glad they went back and we got another we got another Kyoko Kozaki book. I hope it's not the last one because uh, there's a lot yeah. more lot more good stuff out there. So yeah. yeah, I just want to say that this is a great book club read. Oh, it rewards repeat reading. 
Yeah. Like, like I flipped to 116 to 117, and there's that scene where, you know, Kanazaki is being really sweet to Haruna, like giving by her gifts and being like really, you know, being nice to her. And then it's juxtaposed immediately with how badly he's hurt, like, mm-hmm. like really injured Yamada. It's like, oh, how interesting, <laughs> you know? No. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, I was looking, I, I was looking at a picture of Kyoko Okazaki, um, which I posted in our little uh, show notes channel. Yeah, she's so fashionable. She looks just like <laughs> the the model. Yeah, she really does, actually. Like, so I, when I think of it that way, I think, oh, every time I see, like, at the ending page where it's like you see Yoshikawa, you know, smoking a cig and look, looking at the reader or looking at, looking towards the reader i think she's kind of self-inserted herself huh mm, that's interesting <laughs> we'll throw it in the show notes All right. it's, it's something else so yeah so that was kyoko kozaki's river's edge which is out in paperback and digital right now from kodansha and i discovered while i was researching this episode uh they released a brand new live action movie of river's edge in 2018 Wow. It's on Netflix internationally. Netflix picked it up in Netflix original with <laughs> oh English God. subtitles. So if y'all oh. want to end honestly, I started watching the first 15 minutes and I was like, this is exactly the same as the book. This is so weird. So yeah, oh if you want a different take on this story, if you, if you want to be able to pause it and leave the room <laughs> sort of thing, it's on Netflix, wherever you got Netflix right now. Oh, maybe that's why I got licensed. Maybe. Although even that's five years ago. So who can oh. say? The manga licensing world is a weird one. Uh. <laughs> we, I think we all know. All right. Let's go to the break, and we'll be right back. Thanks. Stay tuned. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we're back from the break. Thank you so much for joining us right until the end. We're running a little bit long this week, so we're just going to do some quick shout outs. My shout out was actually in the episode and it was Tim Robinson's I Think You Should Leave, which is fantastic. And we're watching it and it's just, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. But I will say, actually, I was talking to a friend this week and there's a lot of old movies that are sometimes difficult to find otherwise that just seem to have been completely uploaded to YouTube, which I feel like everybody in the world knew except for me. So my shout out this week is the French New Wave Cinema film La Jetée, which is the inspiration mm. for the film 12 Monkeys. It's uh, it's real good, real good movie. And I, I had never seen it before. French science fiction film directed by Chris Marker, associated with the left bank artist movement. It is a science fiction time travel movie shot in black and white on like the cheapest possible handheld. And it's 
perfect and just miserable, just miserable. And I felt like it was a good recommendation for a book that was also pretty tough this week. So, <laughs> Lajete, check it out. Archive.org is good for that too. If you need archive.org is good for that. Yeah. 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 Think, well, there we go. We got two good links in the, in the show notes <laughs> this week. That'll be great. My shout out is for you. Because you just finished I Think You Should Leave, Netflix has a series of kind of one-shots called The Characters, where they give various sketch comedians, like, an episode to do a bunch of sketches. And that's what Tim Robinson did before this. So there's Mm. an episode with just Tim Robinson sketches, but there's also one with Lauren Lapkus. Oh, I saw the Lauren Lapkus one. Yeah, yeah. She's great. Yeah, and also Kate Berlant and John Early, who is, like, one of the funniest people alive. Mm. And, yeah, yeah, very good. Very good. Well, thank Check you. them out. All yeah. right. The characters. David, moving right on my screen. What, yes. what is your shout out this week? My shout out is a very short anecdote before the shout out. Yesterday, mm-hmm. a friend came over and we played fighting games and like God delivery and it was delightful. So my shout out is playing fighting games in general. Like the competition <laughs> is so much fun, like against your friends. Once you set aside losing as being a bad thing, it's just yeah. like thrill after thrill after thrill, just a constant adrenaline rush. And then when you win, like it feels amazing and there are no stakes. So it's like the best kind of losing, you know, not very good. So yeah, play video games with your friends, especially if it's head to head competitive and don't take it too seriously, but enjoy the highs when they get there. Hmm. David's shout-out is basically friendship. Yeah. Yeah. Have have a friend if you can. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Victory. It is yeah. friendship, effort, and victory, isn't it? <laughs> and you edit Shonen Jump books, eh? Weird. Not anymore. Uh, <laughs> this is old. a shout out for. Oh, oh, uh, we all ate. Yeah, they Logan's run to me. Uh, <laughs> Ryan North beat me so continuously at competitive Super Mario Brothers that he's still. If he's trying to get my goat, we'll just slip it into conversation because <laughs> he's so good at Mario. And every once in a while, we'll just be talking and I'll be like making a point. And he'll be making a point. He'll be like, we could settle this over Mario knowing that he would kick my ass. And it's like, <laughs> well played, Ryan North. You know what? I'm having dinner with him tonight, so I'm going to bring that up. Oh, and yeah, God. please do. At one point yesterday, I was we were playing in person and then also online with friends who, were, who live far away. And one of our friends was dominating like a 20 win streak. So I was like, Ooh. hey other friend who's his roommate i'll give you 20 bucks over paypal if you go make it stop right now and (laughs) (laughs) nice oh that's friendship right there it's so cold goes a long way (laughs) (laughs) deb what is your shout out this week my shout out is a book that i had on my amazon wish list for so long that when i finally pressed the button to buy it I accidentally bought two copies. (laughs) 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 And that sucks in its own way, but it's an awesome book. And um, maybe I'll give it to one of y'all, but it's the Hollywood book. It's the catalog from the Victoria and Albert Museum's exhibit on Korean, the Korean wave. Mm. Okay. Like, like K-pop and K-fashion and fandom and comics and stuff like that. It's, it's totally fascinating. Cool. I've spent all my time, you know, marinating myself in Japanese culture. And then when I started reading webtoons and watching K-dramas, I realized how much I don't know about South Korean culture and history and just anything. So yeah. I've been kind of you know, just diving into this. And this exhibit was at the Victorian Albert Museum in London last year. And I was so tempted to just fly there just to see it because I saw the Bowie show there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing like it, right? Nothing like seeing it in an original museum. But no money, no time. Now that I have the book, I deeply regret it because it looks so good. 
Hmm. So I hope it comes as the show travels to like the Bowie show did. It would be awesome in LA where there's a huge Koreatown. So I'm hoping. Yeah, I like it. It's sort of like hope alive. cool Britannia for South Korea, I guess. Oh, it's so amazing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Okay. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes. That yeah, looks cool. Yeah. So that's like, that's a, that's an episode of Mongo's planning, right guys? We're good. <laughs> we can all yeah. go to, we can all go to sleep. We did it. Or uh, start our days as it were, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, time for my morning nap, actually. Yeah, oh. perfect. I will uh, do the same. All right. Well, for all of us, that has been an episode of Manga Splaining. We will see you again next week with, I don't know what it is, but it'll be in the outros. Take care. <laughs>